And it's that commitment. You see, we have weddings in here and uh, people come. Um, Chris, sorry, can you get the door? Uh, there are people come and they stand at the front. The bride and groom stand at the front. Uh, I'm not seeing you in here, but Ewan and Sarah are, are getting married in a couple of weeks' time. And uh, it's just lovely. I remember, I'll not name them, but there was one couple that as the bride came forward, and brides always look stunning, and she looked absolutely stunning, and the groom's eyes filled with tears, and then I saw him, he just mouthed to her, I love you. It was just, it was really sweet. Well, more than sweet, it was really special. It was just great. Well, what we're, what's happening here is that this is being the same thing. It, it's Christ saying to the church, look, I love you. We might not love ourselves, we might, be, we might think that we're really ugly. We might wonder, why would God love me? And this is Christ saying that. Now, what's even more amazing is that the state the church was in before Christ uh, worked in us, before Christ saved us. And the only way I can think of it is like this. It's as though uh, the sermon that Anne gave me, the, the minister put it this way, I'm paraphrasing a bit because it was in Old English. But the church was in debt, polluted, foolish, helpless, hating him. It's as though when Prince William was at St. Andrews, he went back to Buckingham Palace and he said to his mum, I don't know what he calls his mum, the Queen, mum, probably. And he said, I've, I've met someone and we're going to get married. There's going to be a royal wedding. And instead of it being Kate, being somebody who's very... Um, you know, sophisticated and beautiful and glamorous and from right background and so on. He introduces her to somebody who was ugly, teeth missing, hair unkempt, clothes filthy, drunk, uh, someone who basically picked up off the street. And you imagine all the, the press and, every, and, and everyone looked, you, you want to marry? This is who you want to marry? Not someone who can be on the cover of Hello magazine, but this is who you want to marry. And he says, I love her. And that is just a tiny fraction of what Jesus has done for us. We, when we think of marriage, we think, well, somebody will choose me, or I will choose someone because they are attractive, because I am attractive, because there are things within us that would cause us cause them to desire us. But that's not Jesus. Look at this from Philippians 2. Paul talking about the attitude that Christians should have towards one another says this, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Who Jesus is, the Son of God, where he came from, heaven, is extraordinary enough. What he came to do, what he suffered, is even more amazing. He died for us. He was made sin for us. Now, there's so many passages of the Bible, but this, Isaiah 53, if you want to ask, how do you know God loves you? How much does God love you? Read this. Surely he took up our infirmities, carried our sorrows, Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace 
was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This evening when we have communion, we will remember the Lord's death. We will remember what Jesus went through, and we will remember why he did it. And the bottom line is this, that he loved us enough to die for us. When we didn't love him, when we hated him, when we were, we despised him. And he did it for a fantastic reason. We're told he did it to make her holy by the washing with water through the word. And that's a particular allusion to the culture of Paul's day, especially the Jewish culture. Because if you were a bride in Jewish culture, before you got married, you had a special ceremonial bath. And Paul here is referring to that. He's referring to that washing. And he's referring to Christian baptism. And he's referring to it like a covenant sign, like a wedding ring. It's back to Jesus saying, how do you know that I love you? I love you. Here is the washing with water through the word. Here is your forgiveness. Here is everything that comes from that. The washing of the new birth. Sometimes if you're a normal human being, if you're a normal Christian, you struggle with your own sinfulness. On the outside, you may have a veneer of politeness, of kindness. You may have all of that, but deep down you know within yourself that there is lust, that there is greed, that there is anger, that there is bitterness, that there is an unforgiving spirit, that there are all these things. There is pride. There is so much that is so destructive of everything in your life and in other people's lives that when you see it, when the Holy Spirit convicts you of it, it it so discourages you, it so depresses you, it so disables you. And we are told here that Jesus says, I know, I know that, I know what you're like, I know. And I've come to wash you. I've come to cleanse you. I've come to make you whole. I've come to make you pure. You are to be holy, beautiful, glorious, blameless. The opposite of the ugliness that we so often see. It's kind of the ultimate makeover. I love this uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones in speaking about this passage. And I just, I love the way he puts it. He says, dare I put it like this. The beauty specialist will have his final touch to the church. The massaging will have been so perfect, there will not be a single wrinkle left. She will look young and in the bloom of youth, with color in her cheeks, with her skin perfect, without any spots or wrinkles, and she will remain like that forever and ever. The ugliness is going. Christ is cleansing. Christ is forgiving. Sometimes when you look and in the church and you notice something, you see something, you see something in someone else, you see their anger, you see their emotion, you see their bitterness, you see their selfishness, you need to see with Christ's eyes and say, yes, but he's dealt with that and he's dealing with it. Because when you sometimes look in a mirror and you see that in yourself, he's dealt with that and he's dealing with it. Christians are not people who say, we are perfect, we have made it. Christians are people who say we are far worse than you could possibly imagine. You have no idea. When you're criticizing me, you have no idea. You're only scratching the surface. But I'm telling you this, there is somebody who loved me so much that even the ugliest scar in my life, the deepest sin, 
is healed and forgiven. There are three images that are used in Ephesians of the church, the body, the building, and the bride. And Paul here is speaking of the bride. And he's saying the church is united. The church is beautiful. Incidentally, it's a real challenge to our individualist thinking because it's not just about you and me. It is about you and me, but it's about us all together. And that's so important. I think about a year ago or so, I said that I believe that God was shaking up the church in Scotland and he would shake us up if we were to grow and develop. And that is, there, is, there is no way that that hasn't happened. That, is, that has just happened to us. And it has been very, very painful in so many ways. But out of that pain comes something that's really beautiful. Paul, talking about the church, says, uh, he's speaking of the Galatian church, and he says, do I have to go again through the pains of childbirth to birth the church? Now, I'm a man, so I have to be really careful what I say here, and I know that Sonia will pick this up. I, I believe absolutely that childbirth is painful, Okay? I, I don't need to experience it. I accept the word that's being said. I'm sure it is absolutely painful. But also this, I think it is extraordinary that out of that pain, I mean, John and Sonia, we rejoice with them that there's a new birth, that there is a new life. And that's what Jesus is doing with us as individuals, but it's what he's doing with us collectively as the church, that the church is being born, if you like, through what Christ has done for us. And it can be really, really painful, but it ends up extraordinarily beautiful. That's why we pray that God's beauty would rest upon us. So I want to look at just a little bit at how the, the second part of this, when it, he says Christ feeds and cares for the church, but before we do that, we'll sing about what the church is based on, the church's one foundation. And the words will come up on the screen, Lauren and Steve will lead us in that. We're going to, because the church is based on Christ, and it's wholly about Christ, and it's only a Christian church if it follows Christ. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ our Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. Let's stand and sing these words to God's praise. Church's one foundation is Jesus Christ our Lord. She is His new creation by water and the Word. From heaven He came and sought her to be His home.
continue just to think about Christ loving us in this way and what he does for us. And by the way, it means that whatever your status, because although here he's speaking about married uh, husbands and wives and how they are to treat one another and using Christ as an example, it means this, whatever your status, single, married, divorced, widowed, whatever your status, you will never be more loved than you are loved by Christ. You can't have someone in your life who will love you more than Jesus loves you. That is just an absolute impossibility. And you need to think about what that means. But uh, let's think about this. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. How does Christ feed us? How do we grow? How do we develop? I mean, it's wonderful when you see a church growing and more people coming in in terms of numbers. But we're talking, as Richard was praying, about spiritual growth, about how we grow in love and knowledge and and how we become closer to Jesus. How does that happen? Well, Paul gives three answers in Ephesians, and I'm just going to to go through them and just encourage you in them. First of all, we're we're fed through his word. You were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You're not a Christian. How do you become a Christian? You become a Christian by hearing about Jesus. How do you hear about Jesus? Not primarily people's personal testimony, though that can help, But you hear about Jesus through his word because the Bible's an amazing book. It is God speaking to us. And that's what brings you life. Chapter 4, verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. Paul there is talking about how we grow as a church. We speak the truth. Well, what's the truth? The truth is God's word. We, we, the, it's literally, we truth it to one another. We share in God's word. That's why we have uh, Bible studies. That's why we have teaching from God's word. But informally, when we meet together and and pray and so on. And then chapter 4, verse 20. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. How can I enjoy Jesus? Is he a stained glass window? Is it a dream that I have at night? No. It's about Jesus. You will come... 
When you come to get a service here, I hope that one thing that will always be guaranteed is you will hear about Jesus, not just as a mantra, but you will hear of who he is and what he has done. And no matter how long you've been a Christian, supposing you've been a Christian for 70 years, you still will hear more about Christ and know more about Christ. And to know him is to love him. Your greatest need, whether you think it or not, right now it's not financial, it's not emotional, it's not relational. Your greatest need is to know Jesus Christ, to know him better. And he feeds us in that way. He feeds us through his word. Just as we, we feed our bodies through the restaurants and meals at home and snacks and all the rest of it, there are many varieties in the way that God communicates and feeds us through his word. We're fed through his spirit because the Bible on its own would just be words in a book. But for it to be true in the sense of being imparted to us, the spirit needs to take the word of God and to apply the word of God to us. Isn't it a bizarre thing that you've got churches who say, well, we're really into the spirit and you get other churches who say, we're really into the word. They're both rubbish because you have to have both. You have to have the word. You have to have the spirit. If you don't, you, it's just a disaster. And we need the Holy Spirit. In chapter 1, verse 17, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. You sit here and you say, I can't, I can't take in all this. I can't understand all this. This is all too much for me. Well, it's a very simple prayer for you to pray. You pray this before the end of the service today. Just pray, God, give me your spirit that I can understand this, that I can know this. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. There is no greater experience in this world, nor do I believe in heaven, is there a greater experience than being filled with the Spirit of God. And the reason that is a great experience is not because you have miraculous gifts, not because you can speak in tongues, not because you, you feel all gooey. It is just simply this. It's because you know Christ. Because, because suddenly everything, every perspective completely changes because instead of church being some kind of dull religious ritual, it comes alive. It's just really alive. The Word of God comes alive. You come alive because God's Spirit is at work within you. I had another funeral this week, and just, you know, everything just kind of seems, in one sense, like death. When you see a body, that body of someone you know and love, it's them, it's their legs, it's their arms, it's their eyes, it's their nose, it's their eyes, it's them, but it's not them because their spirit has gone. They're no longer there. They don't think, they're not conscious, they don't feel, and so on. 
That's what we are like as human beings without God. We are dead in sins and trespasses. And when Christ comes into our life, when the word comes to us, when the spirit applies the word, when we are born again of the Holy Spirit of God, when we are filled with the spirit, we are spiritually conscious. We become alive and it accentuates every part of our being. Just as the spirit of a human being makes our fingers move and our, and our legs walk and our minds think, so the spirit of God within us changes every single aspect of our lives. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus sends his spirit. Now I know that there's one prayer. There are prayers that we can pray and we're not sure if God's going to answer them as we would think positively or not. There is one prayer that God will always answer. If we ask for his spirit, he will always send his spirit. Because Jesus said that. He said, who of you fathers, though, though you are evil, if your son asks for bread, will you give him a stone or will you give him a serpent? No, you'll give him bread. If you then, though you are evil, know how to do that, how much more will your heavenly father who is perfect give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So Christ feeds us through the word. Christ feeds us through his spirit. And that's why we pray in the service here that Jesus would be present by his Holy Spirit. One other. Just mention this one. It's a kind of strange thing. It's self-feeding. We're fed through his people. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Here's the extraordinary thing. The body of Jesus Christ builds itself up as each part does its work. Remember I said about the church being ugly? You know what? It's very, very easy to do. It's very easy to knock down. See, when I'm sitting talking with the children, one illustration I could use as well is you're building something. Like we went out to um, the beach. I can't remember where it is. Um, out beyond our broth. Lunan Bay. We went out to Lunan Bay. Absolutely fantastic. And, and I remember some of the kids there, they built this most elaborate sandcastle. Took them ages. Took them an hour and a half to build this absolutely glorious sandcastle. And all it took was one brat to come running along and kick it over. You can kick it over in five seconds. To build it up takes ages. You can destroy people in this church in five seconds. You can say one word that will destroy somebody. To build people up takes time. You have to love people and you have to care for people and you do it as Jesus did. The whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. From, as, as, as from Christ, we build up and we share with one another. I've been a minister in the church for 26 years. I've been in the Christian church for over 30 years. And boy, is it ugly at many, many times. But I tell you this, I still haven't lost faith that, and seen that it can be extraordinarily beautiful. In fact, so beautiful that those who don't belong go, wow, I wish, I just wish I was part of that. Christ loves his church. So I finish by asking this. Do you want to be part of the bride of Christ? You can. You can. There isn't a single person here to whom that invitation is not extended. You come to him for all your needs. If you are already part of the bride of Christ, if you are a believer, then live it, learn it, love it. Live what you have. Learn what you have. Love what you have. And this evening, 
let's come together and share in communion together as we acknowledge our oneness, as we acknowledge the beauty of Jesus, and as we acknowledge what he has done and continues to do for us. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the beauty that is in Jesus Christ. I pray that your Holy Spirit would come upon us. I pray for those who as yet don't know you, who are looking for you, who are confused, who are hurt, who are wounded, who are cynical, who are angry. I pray that you would blow away all of that and just help them to see that it is all about Jesus and that they would see your beauty and your love. And I pray for those of us who do know you, do profess faith in you, who, who have experience your presence and yet we have grown weary, worn, tired, cold, angry, hard-hearted, proud, so many different things. Lord, forgive us our selfish absorption and help us to look away from the storms and the clouds and everything that surrounds us and threatens to swamp us and help us to look to Jesus, the author, the beginner and the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. For we ask it in your name. Amen. We're going to finish by singing uh, uh, a new paraphrase of Hebrews 13. The tune is Diadamata, a tune that many of you know. If you don't know it, you can catch on with it. It's kind of like a benediction. I will say the benediction as well um, from this, but let's sing it together first of all. Now may the God of peace who raised up from the dead The one great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus, our sovereign head, who shed his precious blood to save a sinful race by the eternal covenant of God's unfailing grace. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. That's www.stpeters.org.uk hyphen dundee dot org dot uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically please visit the website of SOLAS the Centre for Public Christianity at solace-cpc.org Once again that's www.solas hyphen cpc dot org Thanks for listening